Welcome back, Wellness Warriors. How you doing? This is What Makes Me Well. I'm your host, Asada Jones, and every week I sit down with a special guest and we discuss all the different aspects of their life that make them well. This week, I am following up with my pole friend, my dear pole sister, Paige Anderson, winner of the 2019 Pole Championship Series. Paige and I get into what life has been like since she competed at the Arnold, and we also talk about what life is currently like in this new normal um, dealing with this global pandemic. It's a really honest conversation as always, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear about her new project that she's been working on. It's called The Pole Book, and of course, we share our highlights of the week. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and follow it on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. If you're on Apple Podcast, rate it five stars. Give me those sweet five-star ratings and also leave a review because I like to read reviews and I'll read it on the next podcast episode. Give you a little shout out. Show you some love for showing me some love. Listeners, if you want some advice, I am giving some free advice out. Email me at whatmakesmewell at gmail.com and I'll answer your question, address your concern anonymously on the next episode. Okay, that's it for the housekeeping. Let's get into the episode with Paige. And we're here. Hey, Paige. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm just, I love technology. I love, what a time to live, honestly. <laughs> We're doing interviews from our isolation tanks. Yay! <laughs> well, I love you. Thank you so much for coming back. Um, Paige, catch me up on what you have been doing to be well in the last two years, because it's been a whole two years since um, I've had you on the show. Has it What's really been going been on? Two? Okay. So the last time we spoke, I think I had just won FPFC. Yes, right. you were getting ready for the Arnold's and so, yeah, so gonna win. And I was like, y'all, she's gonna win. And you were like, oh my god, don't say that. And I was like, but you are though. So I so don't. so yeah. After that, so Florida Pole Fitness Championship is kind of the state level um, pole fitness um, competition. And I went pro, which was already mind-blowing. And then I won pro, which was completely caught me off guard. I was ready for that to be my very last competition and then kind of back off. And um, then it was like, oh, no, no, no. You have to go to the Super Bowl of pole. And I was like, girl, level up. I was like, who, me? No, (laughs) that's not happening. (laughs) Um, So I showed up to the Arnold Schwarzenegger Fitness Classic um, last year, 2019. And there are a bunch of badass women that I fangirl over and I'm about to compete against Ashley Fox, Miss Philly. I mean, like... What was that like? Like, Oh my God. Ashley is... I mean, I look at her videos. She's phenomenal. She's a big deal. She's a big deal. Power. I mean, like, you want to talk power? That woman is the most powerful dancer. I mean, like, just in terms of, like, raw, like, her 
moves she's like a a a tightly wound spring and then she just like explodes with these huge power moves very dynamic um you know, so I walked in, we had a dinner the night before the competition with all of the pro athletes together and kind of like, go over, how's everything going to run and blah, 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 blah. And I walked in there and I was like, oh my God, can I just talk to you for just a second? I just went, I'm really out of my, oh my God. I was like being such a nerd. It was awful. It was awful. awful. But so I went in very, very intimidated and I was having panic attacks for about four months beforehand. Like I would just randomly be you know, in my day job and my hands would start sweating and shaking and I would start like, okay. (laughs) So it was a very intense eight months of training for that. Um, And then the weekend of I, my coach, uh, Brittany Bate, God love her. She (laughs) came up to Ohio with me and she was like just in my corner and like, you got this, you got this. And I was like, I'm going to throw up. And she was like, if you say you're going to throw up one more time, I'm sending you home. I'm sending you. That sounds like Brittany. Yeah. She was like, just go home. If you don't want to do it, just go home. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. And then got backstage the day of, started my warm-up routine, um, which I do the same warm-up routine when I'm when I'm um rehearsing for for a competition. I always do the same warm-up routine. So that way it kind of like triggers that Pavlovian, like, you know, yeah. muscle memory and everything. It's that game time movement. Game time movement. And like the second, and I do feel like um, a movement routine, a movement regimen that is repeated um, can help kind of get you in that meditative, like it takes you out of the spiral of your mind and removes you in that like very yogic kind of way. Um, so if anybody out there is like an athlete preparing for a competition, I highly recommend have the same exact warm up routine every time. Um, that's my recommendation personally from a physical, you know, like from a fucking like you're a competitor, you're a champion. Yeah, (laughs) consult your doctor. That's all I'm saying. But yeah, but once I got backstage, started that warm up routine, it was like my brain went, okay, game time. And I felt cool cucumber all of a sudden. And I got up on stage, I did my routine, I had one fumble, but I recovered quickly. And when I got off stage, like I'm literally walking down the stairs and I went, that felt good. And I was like, okay. And yeah, it turned out that I won. So I am the current uh, world champion for the pole championship series, which is Woo! insane. So crazy. I'm so proud of you. So, so, all right. So the last time you were on the show, we were talking about how incredibly stressful it was and what you were doing to cope for like preparation. Right. Yeah. Um, and you were, we were, we were, because I feel like I was going through it with you too. Yes. We were coming home from your competition win and then like preparing to gear up to start um, training again for the Arnolds. Yeah. So now that that's happened, um, you know, you've got your medals, you've won your titles, the world knows you're a badass bitch. So <laughs> what, <laughs> what has life been like post-competition? I know that you are... And and I say this completely honestly, I admire your training regimen when you are in competition mode. Like it's I, I truly admire it because like 
you have your, I, I feel like you have your um, schedule and your boundaries really set up in place for your success. I feel like that's one of the reasons why you are such a successful competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is this like without having that competition, without having that, all right, I have to, there's a deadline. I need to perform. So I need to have these boundaries set up so that way I can eat right, train right, all that stuff. What is like, what is life like post-competition? So um, with PCS, I was, um, like I said, I was ready to step back. Um mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh, no, you can't step back. You need to ramp up. Um, so I got, I'm going to be honest, a little burnt out. Um, I yeah. train, when I'm in competition training, I work a full-time job during the day. Um, and then I tack on to that 35 to 40 hour week. I tack on an extra 10 to 12 hours a week training. Um, flexibility and contortion training, um, cardiovascular training, muscular endurance training, and then actual routine like rehearsals, right? Um, choreography, private lessons, blah, blah, blah. It's very expensive. Very, very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not even counting the time. Cause I actually edit all my own music. I sew my own costumes from scratch. Um, I, I mean like everything that appears on that stage, I have hand done myself I don't hire other people because I'm a control freak I guess um and I'm like I already know what I want it to be like so I'm just gonna do it myself <laughs> just, okay, yeah I've been there you know I'll just, I'll just learn how to sew and I'll just learn how to edit music because I don't want to explain this to somebody else and have them do it yeah um, so I mean you know um so you know I mean that's that 10 to 12 hours a week is not even counting the crafting elements and the, and the, um, music editing elements. So, and I and also that's for pole oh. too, like that's just for pole. Yeah. You yeah. still have to be a full-time mama. Right. You are a wife, right. like you are a friend to, and a pole sister. And that's a lot of responsibility too, because you yeah. are still having to be there for other people yeah. and support and lift them up too. So, okay. Yeah. You're fine. So you were out. That makes sense. It makes it gets, total sense. And, you know, and yeah, and setting those those boundaries, like you said, it's very, very, very difficult to find that balance when I'm in active competition training mode. So since PCS, I honestly have stepped so far back, maybe a little too far back. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I've kind of stopped, um, you know, I'm trying to still train somewhat, but I've really um, tried to number one, let my body rest. Cause I was nursing so many long-term injuries and it's like, just stop, you know, just stop, let the body recover, um, completely. And then, you know, so I'm being a lot more gentle and incorporating a lot of other types of, um, activity now, but really trying to focus on, you know, being a mom, um, being a wife and my husband, I do have to absolutely give him so much credit because he has never, um, he has never once said, no, you can't go train. No, you can't like, and I'll ask him like, cause he's in college too. He's um, finishing his bachelor's degree in biology right now to go to dental school. And you know, he's so giving of that time. When I say I need time to work on this book, I need time to train for pull. I need, I need, I need, I need <laughs> me, 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 me. And he goes, yeah, absolutely. I'm here, whatever you need. Um, he gives me, and then if I say I'm taking too much time, he's like, no, this is important. You have to do this. Like he oh, understands that. Yeah. He's very, um, 
you know, adamant that I invest that time. Um, you know, so he's never, um, really, you know, I don't, I, I guess he's, he's never, um, made it a negative, um, that I am investing that time in these projects, um, which yeah. is amazing, you know, um, stood in your way or made you feel bad about no. it, which I, think no. is, I mean, I don't want to speak for other, other people out there, um, uh, but I do f- find that that is sometimes a challenge, um, a difficult part in having a relationship or a a partnership where you, a person in the partnership has a very demanding job or hobby or or passion, whatever it is. Um, sometimes it's very easy to let yourself be guilted into staying home. Yes. And that's, that's something that we take, you know, very seriously in our our relationship is, you know, we're both very considerate of each other's time. Mm. Um, like it's one thing to be considerate of the other person in terms of like, oh, don't hug the blankets and stuff like that. But um, we're very considerate of each other's time. We're both working on huge things in our lives at all times. And, you know, so I'm always asking him, is it okay if I go to pole class or do you need to study for an exam? Um, do you need me to take over? Cause he cooks, he loves cooking. Do you need me to take over dinner so you can study? Do you need, you know, so we both try um, to support each other in our quests rather yeah. than, you know, inhibit. Um, but, you know, so that, that was a huge, but, you know, since, since, you know, kind of stepping back competition wise, I'm trying to um, spend a lot more quality time with kiddo, um, which right now we're getting tons of quality time together, <laughs> which is so great. You ask um, the universe for what you want and sometimes she'll provide it. <laughs> yep, there you go. So that's wonderful. Um, but yeah, and just, you know, trying to like spend more time working on writing stuff and, you know, just kind of like reassessing the balance and, and, you know, kind of finding that midpoint of pole. Cause I feel like I'm either all the way on or all the way off, which is why I've always done competitions because if I don't have something to train for, I tend to just stop, which is what's happening right now. I'm kind of like, I haven't been doing anything. And so if I have a goal to train for, um, but I need to find like a medium goal, not a big, <laughs> you right. know, so I, I think I'm going to do some slightly lower level competitions um, or something that's a little bit more casual, um, not so trick intensive. I'm really looking forward to um, trying out for Dance Filthy this oh, nice. year. So fingers crossed. Hopefully I'll have like a Dance Filthy performance coming up. Uh, but because it's not so trick intensive, it's more performance based and more fun. I don't think it'll put me in that like psycho mode that I tend to get into. So (laughs) I think that'll be a good one. Hopefully, hopefully. I mean, yeah, it's dance filthy is very, um, you gotta really bring it. You gotta really bring the show, man. Yeah. But you gotta bring the show. Like, I don't, you know, I feel like the yeah, show it's is not. It's part. not about like, like the, the tricks, tricks are what so much. It's me more about like and how make me very nervous, and so I feel like performance yeah. that you're giving off. So like, if you're good with like, oh, well, the tricks are what makes me nervous, then yeah, the performance is fine. Then you'll be you're like a duck to water. You'll be great. I love it. I'm excited. <laughs> so that that's great finding finding that balance. And I mean, maybe I don't know about you. I have a pole at home, so when um. I don't feel like doing tricks. At least I like, you know, do like a little spin or just do like a little bit of freestyling around the pole. Do yes. you 
do you do that? Is that um, your, maybe that I'm just, I'm just asking here. Is that your, um, maybe that's your middle or do is a daily freestyle. You're not doing anything. Right. (laughs) So my not doing anything is like literally I'm, my, uh, like, I haven't been exercising. <laughs> oh, <laughs> got it. Got it. Sorry, so maybe the midpoint is freestyling. Once again. Yes. Like, I need to, I definitely need to. And like, but you know, again, because I take my warm up so seriously, it's, there's this like huge, and I feel like a lot of people struggle with this as far as like enacting a fitness regimen. It feels like this huge hurdle, this huge roadblock. I have to get in my space, change into the clothes, do a warm up. How's the warm up going to run? Am I going to warm up properly? What if I under warm up this thing and then I hurt myself and how do I know? And and it's like I start questioning my methodology. You want it to be perfect. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be perfect. And since I am a perfectionist, (laughs) I go, well, if it's not perfect, then I'm just not going to do it at all. And I need to get over that. That's something I'm working on. Same, same here. Um, I, I've been doing a lot of um, research and a lot of reading on procrastination. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was a, like a chronic procrastinator. Um, and, and yeah, that's what I, that's what I discovered about myself. I'm not a procrastinator. I'm a perfectionist. Yep. I won't do it if I feel like it's it's got to be perfect and I'm not going to put it out there. I'm not even going to try if I know it's not going to live up to what I feel like. My standard, exactly, exactly. Yep. And that's, that's, I feel like it's a huge um, pitfall that a lot of people fall into, especially when it comes to something like fitness, because we put this unfair pressure on ourselves. You know, I look through my Instagram feed and of course I follow a bunch of professional pole dancers. They've got six packs, they're thin, they're svelte, they're muscular, you know, and I'm looking at my body and like, I'm 36 years old. I've had a kid. I'm, you know, and even when I was in my absolute best shape, I tend to be hypercritical. Well, my belly skin is always loose because I've had a kid. And like, I'm looking at these 20 something pole dancers who have never had a kid who, you know, don't have a full-time job. Their job is training. And I look at them and then I look at me and I go, well, if I can't have that kind of body, why even bother? If I'm not going to win everything, then why, but you know, it's like, if I'm not going to be perfect, why try it all? And that's, that's a huge pitfall. And that's the same thing with how I clean my house. If it can't be absolutely spotless and perfect, then I'm just not going to clean anything. And it turns into like, I, like a hoarder situation. Like it looks terrible, you know, cause I'm like, it's either all or nothing. And that's not a good way to live. So, you know, that's something I think if we can all kind of do a little bit more, um, loving what we're working with and looking at ourselves. I was given the advice to treat myself as though I were somebody else's kid. How would you talk to somebody else's kid or your own kid? If they came at you with like, I'm not good enough. And I'm the, and like, you would be very gentle, very supportive. Um, so much more compassionate. Much we, more compassionate. We don't have enough compassion for ourselves. I feel like. Compassion, yeah. I was just going to say that self-compassion is very lacking um, yeah. nowadays, or I don't even want to say nowadays because I feel like that's not even, um, that's not correct because if, and I will speak for myself when I think about where my lack of self-compassion comes from. Mm. It's not because somebody 
taught it to me. So, you know, yeah. I, I've been introduced to so many people that were compassionate to me and, and I'm surrounded by so much love, but for some reason there, there is a disconnect where we can't turn it or I can't, um, or I, it's very difficult. I have to be there very you go. Yeah. to, um, to flip that around on myself yeah. and just be a little bit more forgiving to myself and, and yeah. Oh, where does that come from? Oh, okay. Let me write that down. <laughs> Which, you know, and, and, you know, we kind of touched on, um, you know, dealing with my kid, you know, he lately, now I feel like he's doing it to guilt trip me when he doesn't get what he wants, but he will go like if we've you know hit a conflict and he's doing something and not listening when I say don't do that and blah 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 he'll shut himself in his room and say my parents don't care about me no cares about me and I know it's like a passive aggressive you know whatever but at the same time that kind of self-talk I feel like can is going to get into his head at some point so you know I've told him let's reframe that let's say my parents are hard on me because I was going to get hurt and they don't want me to hurt myself because, you know, trying to reframe that kind of self-talk because I feel like that's already start. He's five years old and he's starting this self-talk of like, I'm not good enough. And that just breaks my heart. That's, you know, so trying really, really hard to be careful what I say out loud in front of him, um, you know, and, and, I don't know where he got that from because like I have always been so careful what I say in front of him, but, um, you know, there it is. We learn it from somewhere and maybe I'm putting out subconscious signals that I don't realize I'm doing, but. Yeah, maybe. I, I, and I, I don't know if, um, I don't know if that's true or if that's just, sometimes we, there are just stories that we tell ourselves Mm -hmm. that sometimes, um, we will tell ourselves these stories in order to kind of make ourselves feel better in some sort of way. So now just taking the example for your son, maybe it's, uh, you know, my parents don't care about me saying that might feel a little bit better than saying, Oh, I, uh, um, I made a mistake. Yeah. (laughs) Taking responsibility. Maybe that's it. I mean, yeah, it's totally, yeah. Like it's, and then I've told him like, situation of course I'm not a doctor (laughs) but little kids this is the thing though I'm realizing is he's way too smart for his britches and so he's figured out how to say things that he knows really bother and like needle me and like that kind of stuff because he can get mad at me he can shout he can throw things he can whatever and I'm just like bro that's on you if you break your toys throwing things around your room that's not my problem it's your toy I'm not gonna buy you a new one so like he knows like that doesn't bother me I don't care but he's figured out that for him to be sad and self-depreciating I can't handle it so- that's what triggers you that's yeah. <laughs> he sees all my buttons and he pushes them with joy <laughs> Now, okay, this is really bad, bad advice, but like the Hispanic mother in me would be like, I'm just going to take that and flip it right back around. And I'd be like, I Mita, my son, he's so unappreciative of everything I do. I Who am I? So, oh, I'm just trying to save your life and be good, pero I don't know. Now, that's not going to be healthy and you'll probably have to end up paying for therapy in 10 years, but you know. Oh my God. I have been told... 
literally one of my patients is a therapist and I told him like the things that I because we're very just like the world is how it is and I'm just going to tell my son exactly how it is I don't sugarcoat things for him like a little bit but not much and this therapist because I told him about how we talked to my son after one of our dogs died and he was like I'm going to start you a fund you can just start investing now in his future therapy because like, I was like yeah the dog died and he was like the dog died and he was he was like we'll wake it back up and I was like you can't it's dead it's done forever like the dog is now dead forever like you can't wake it up from that well only dogs die right not people well yeah people die too am I gonna die one day hopefully a long time from now but eventually yeah you're gonna die dude and like I don't want to die that's called self-preservation it's a good thing you want to feel like that are you gonna die yeah hopefully a long time from now but you never know things happen yeah <laughs> I mean, honestly, that conversation of mortality and death is never freaking easy. But on, I feel like you ripped it off like a Band-Aid, and that's, that's the best thing It wasn't quite as, like, heartless as I'm making it sound. It was a little bit nicer. But the thing is, like, I, I feel like my fear of mortality came from the fact that my parents would not talk about it at all. It was so bad that you can't even mention it by name. They never say death or died. They say passed away or, you know, whatever. And like my dad was a little bit more um, accepting of the concept of death, but you know, my mom, she struggles with it. And because she's such a loving person, like she never, like, she just can't like, um, the joke in our house is if my dad's ever in a coma, he wants us to pull the plug. And he's like, you're going to have to do it because your mom is going to keep me alive forever on machines. Like, she's just going to be a mortal. She will never pull the plug. And then my mom, meanwhile, she's like terrified. But like, if I get in the coma, your dad's just going to pull the plug on me. Like, he's not going <laughs> to. He's not going to even let me wait at like 20 minutes. <laughs> so like, they're putting us in the middle. Like, you guys have to do this for me. You know, whatever. And, like, obviously yeah. they they'll take care of each other the way they want to be taken care of. But, you know, but it's like, I have my dad on one side who's very like, almost welcoming, like, come on, bring it on. Let's do this. And my mom's very like, never (laughs) keep people alive forever. Immortality is the goal. So it's just really, you know, it was such like a conflicting message. So I'm just trying to be as factual as possible. Like this is how our biological meat suit works and let's try to maintain it and stay as healthy as possible. And like, let's be accepting that one day it will end and we're okay with that. I don't think anybody does, but I think no. that that's that's what I would do. I would try to be as emotionless as possible because I feel like then my fear mm-hmm. is going to be projected. Like I'm going to project my fear of my own mortality onto him, and exactly. like, and that's not going to be helpful for anybody. So maybe if I just talk about it without any. Um, you know, any emotion, then... And, like, then... And we talk about the emotion of it. We say, you know, you can absolutely... It's normal to feel sad because yeah. you miss this, you know, entity that was in your life. That's totally normal. It's normal to be fearful. It's normal to feel, you know, it's okay if you get oh. angry. Um, you know, so... Yeah. Out on me. Repeat the last thing that you said. Oh, sorry. I said, it's okay, you know... Um, when, you know, when we talk about this, like it's, it's normal to feel sad. It's normal. You can feel angry sometimes. Um, you know, when you are dealing with a death, um, you know, so we kind of go through the whole like grieving cycle and, and we apply that, you know, philosophy of like the, the stages of coping, anger, denial, blah, 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 blah. Um, even for, you know, right now we're in the midst of the 
the virus, the pandemic. Um, you know, when we've talked about, you can feel angry about it. You can feel sad about it. You can feel like, cause I go through days where I'm like, I can't get out of bed cause I'm just overwhelmed. And like, that's fine. It's okay. Yeah. Give yourself a day in bed, you know? So not necessarily trying to be emotionless and clinical and Vulcan, um, about the whole death conversation, but at the same time, you know, maybe not filling the conversation with pathos, <laughs> finding that middle ground, you know? Yeah, that's, that's really healthy. Um, so we talked about it. Um, we touched on it before we kind of got off, off track a little bit, but that's fine. Um, I know that's, Hey, this is, that's the game. Um, but so we were saying that you were feeling burnt out post Arnold's and yes. you're trying to find that balance of doing everything and then doing nothing. Mm-hmm. So, um, how do you start to, or what is the conversation like for Paige to start to get back out of that? Or what was the conversation that you were having with yourself that, um, you know, started you um, or really enabled you to kind of get back into those pole shorts, put the grip back on and maybe <laughs> jump into first class again? I'll be honest, the shorts were a big hurdle to overcome. <laughs> yeah, the shorts are a big hurdle for anybody. Oh, like, man, I've gained a lot of weight and I'm like fluffy now. I'm very fluffy. I'm not oh. chubby, I'm fluffy. Um, <laughs> but it's like, whew, man, those shorts are very small. And the bikini line became very unkempt. <laughs> it was a yeah, thing. It was I a feel thing. That. Oh, man. You know, but. I think- the beauty of um, pole, I, I truly think, is that everybody is so vulnerable in our pole yeah. clothing yes. because it is, so, it is so small and, you know, we need our skin to grip on the pole. So we're all kind of very vulnerable with yeah. our insecurities and all of our, literally all of our, we're just standing there in front of each other going, you know, okay, this is my body. Um, please don't laugh at me. Please don't point out <laughs> well- any weird things, but also, I'm also going to try to attempt to do something that my body has never done before. So we are vulnerable physically, and we're also vulnerable in the sense that we're trying new things and failing in front of people. But that's why we get so close with each other. Exactly. It is such a heightened uh, setting of vulnerability that when you do succeed and everybody cheers for you, or you do fail and everybody loves you anyway, or supports you anyway, like that that's what I love exactly and this is this is what's so amazing and what a lot of and we'll talk about the book you know I think later in the conversation but a lot of the book that I'm working on is about exactly that it's about what is so amazingly unique about the culture and community of pole and a huge part of it is exactly what you're talking about we enter into a room with the bar of vulnerability set a lot higher than any other situation that I can think of in which I have met strangers Um, and when we come into that space, you're being asked not only to stand there in, you know, basically a bathing suit, a bikini, um, in front of strangers and being asked to flip upside down and do things that you've never done. And you might fail and you might fall and you, you know, like there's a lot of risk there. Um, but you're also being asked to own your space, not just be in your space, but to own it floor to ceiling. Yeah. And to utilize your space and to move in very big ways. And, you know, I'm a big believer that your body language can dictate your mentality. You know, so they've done all these studies about 
the increase in depression because of iPhone use. And we're always looking down. That's a posture of sadness. It's a posture of depression. Yes, we're um, adapting. Yes. Oh, yes. I love this. I yes. love this. And, and my theory too, so I work in dentistry for my day job and dentistry for a long time has had um, a, statistically a higher risk for suicide. Um, for the practitioners of dentistry. And again, you're in that posture all day, every day. You're looking down into a dark hole. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a very like internally um, oriented posture. And I believe that that can dictate a lot of it triggers. I, I, this is completely just based on like my guesswork. This is no peer reviewed science behind this whatsoever that I'm aware of, but I'll accept it as fact. I mean, you know, hey, there, I think there are actually some studies, but I cannot cite them. So therefore they don't My count. Podcast, they do what I want. This is a fact. But I mean, it makes, I've seen some stuff that suggests that your facial expression and your posture can trigger physiology in your brain, you know, cascades of hormones and, and um, that can trigger, you know, different mindsets. So in poll, you know, if you're insecure, you try to typically humans communicate insecurity um, subconsciously or consciously by making our movements very small, attracting as little attention to ourselves as we can, um, trying to make ourselves as um, invisible as possible. So small gestures, internal, um, you know, kind of like a curling in on yourself. Whereas in pole, okay, slap on a bikini, get in this room full of strangers and move big. You have to have your leg come all the way out in this big circle um, to do a spin, especially on static. You have mm-hmm. to like make your movements huge and and all, again own that space from floor to ceiling. And I think that that kind of shocks the system eventually out of that feeling of insecurity, and it kind of makes you go, whether you believe it or not, I'm big, I'm bold, I'm here. <laughs> Um, And I think that's what is so empowering about pole is that it it puts you in a vulnerable state and forces you to own that state and be proud of that state. And and that's really, really cool. And we build some very strong friendships. Here's the thing, though. You know, going back to talking about, you know, feeling insecure in the pole shorts, feeling insecure going into the room. um, Are other people going to judge me, laugh at me, like whatever? Nobody's looking at us. Nobody's yep. looking at you. No, they're all busy looking at themselves in the mirror. Nobody's yep. looking at you. And the only time that they're looking at you is if you are doing it. And then they'll look at you and go, yeah. And like, we cheer for each other so loudly. Like we're all struggle blessing. We're all in there fighting together. And I have never been in a dance class where there has been so much celebration of what other people are attempting. Yeah. It's yeah, it's I, just it's beautiful. And and I I agree with that 100% and because that is such a big moment or, or, or like we put ourselves in such a big space and, and and it's a demanding of our vulnerability it's when you get out of it mm. it's almost like you 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 kind of like leave a, a world yeah. and to get back into the world it can be kind of daunting so like yeah. to go back to putting on your pole shorts, what was that conversation like? Yeah. So, you know, I've to shake myself loose of, you know, because as humans, we are programmed to be as sedentary as possible, you know, because we need to, from 
in the hunter-gatherer, you know, whatever, our, our biology has not evolved as quickly as our society. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are, as animals, programmed to um, re- reserve as much of our energy as we possibly can. Try not to expend energy unnecessarily. So it's very hard for us to not be sedentary because that's what we are biologically programmed to do. Seek out high fat and high sugar foods and move as little as possible unless it's necessary, (laughs) which right now doesn't work for us. Um, So to try and shake myself out of that, especially, you know, right now I have so much time on my hands, um, walking the dog. Walking, well, I have two dogs actually. So I go for long walks. I can't run because my hips are bad, unfortunately, um, for that specific um, type of activity. But, you mm. know, so I take long, like, you know, hour long walks, slap my kid in the stroller. I tie my dog's leashes around my waist and we just go for, you know, an hour at a time just walking around. And then mm. um, I got some cross training videos and, you know, so other types of movement that I can start kind of get. And once my body remembers, oh, it feels really good when I move. And then from there, it's like, oh, wait, remember that. Yeah, I guess and then from there, it's a lot easier. Yeah, to <laughs> slide in. And like flexibility training. Flexibility training, because I have these problems with my hips um, and my lower back, flexibility training is essential for me to not be in pain all the time. Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah. Once I can get like kind of moving and warming up and then I go, oh, I should stretch a little. And then my body goes, oh, my God, stretching feels so good. (laughs) And then from there, it's a lot easier to kind of like go, okay, I can put on the shorts and like, let's take a spin. And then once you're flying, oh. It's just, why would I, why would I ever have stopped doing this? Like, this is the best. <laughs> I can feel the, the wind in my hair and, and on my scalp, I should say. I can feel the, wind. <laughs> the wind and the whatever. Yeah. I'm defying, like, I feel like I'm defying gravity. Like I'm a badass. Like this feels amazing. Yeah. I can you know, and it's, it's so, I've been interviewing some, some pole stars and, um, Marianne Kromp, um, you know, for those in the audience who are not super well-versed in, in pole people, Marianne Kromp is probably one of the biggest pole stars in the world. Um, and in an interview I did with her recently, you know, she talks about how absolutely free and how, like she, she describes it as, I feel like I am flying. I feel like I'm a bird. Like I am just completely free and it sh- takes you out pole specifically is a, a mode of exercise that takes you out of your everyday um, mindset and puts you in this just like Katy Perry, baby, you're a firework. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. you, know, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. So um, how does the pole book come into play? Um, it Was that kind of your way of getting back into pole, but not actually getting into pole? Like... So the, the idea for the pole book, um, I actually conceptually started working on it as far back as, I would say 2014, 2015. Oh, wow. Okay. Somewhere in there. But I never sat down because it's, it's I, I used to work in publishing and knowing um, a little bit about the publishing gig, I went, dude, I don't have enough. Like I don't have enough clout. I don't have any titles. Like I, you know, at that time I was just a baby competitor and I was kind of like, Ugh. you know, so like 
conceptually developing it at that point, but hadn't really sunk my teeth into it. Um, so I'm, I started putting together the book proposal. So the way it works in nonfiction publishing is um, you write a query letter um, to an agent and then... If the agent is interested in the idea, they'll ask you for a proposal. The proposal is about 20 pages of information, you know, your uh, target audience, competitive titles, blah, 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 um, and then plus two sample chapters. So mm-hmm. you send that whole 40-page packet over to them. They read it over, and then they say, I think I could sell this or not. Um so to start building up the book proposal, I started reaching out to some of these poll stars. Um, Marianne Crump was one of the very first ones who she jumped on it. She was like, yes, let's do this. Like, this is a great idea, you know, whatever. Um, and Marlo Fiskin and I'm in talks with Jeanine Butterfly right now. And I just interviewed Maddie Sparkle and I'm reaching out to Michelle Shimmy. So these are all huge, huge, huge names um, in poll. And the thing with poll is it developed amorphously as a sport. There was no organizing entity whatsoever. Most of our OG poll stars taught themselves at home through YouTube. Like yeah. that, that's how this thing like kind of came into being. It's like random, you know, and because it came out of the strip club, it maintains a lot of the um, strip club mentality, which is like, we got to figure this out on our own as we go. There's nobody you know, as much as like, oh, Hustlers makes it look like you're going to walk in and this stripper mom is going to teach you how to be a baby stripper. No, that's not how it works. Like you yeah. walk in there and it's just like, okay, good luck. <laughs> I'm like, I never, I didn't see the movie. I didn't either. I didn't either. I'm going to be honest. I have a lot of, yeah, I have a lot of um, issues with Hustler and Same. I don't, um, yeah. I don't think I'm allowed to say it. I might get kicked off the pole, the pole island. <laughs> I mean, it's a very controversial thing. Um, I, a lot of issues with it. A lot yeah, of issues. Yeah. One of the, so there's a, a woman named Nova Kane. Yes. Um, who she's done a couple of interviews um, recently, but on her Instagram, she made a post and she was like, how come male strippers got magic mic? Oh, it's a bunch of entrepreneurs who are taking advantage of um, an opportunity. So that way they can, you know, do this and this and this and this. Aren't they clever? Whereas female strippers got hustlers, which is, hey, let's do something illegal to take advantage and steal people's money. Yep. That um, yeah. You know, it's like, ooh, there's a little, <laughs> hmm, you know. Because women that take charge of their bodies are yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah. Sure, and we could do a whole to look at but look at how bad they are in real life terrible nasty women nasty women take your money yeah but again i haven't seen the movie therefore i really shouldn't be commenting on it at all um i will say that there's a huge um huge you know thing to be said about the mainstream being exposed to pole fitness um you know i did like obviously the super bowl i've already talked about that you know but but that is a lot of what the book i'm working on there is no book that focuses on pole fitness as a cultural and sociological entity. Our sport exists in a very, very, very unique sociological niche because it speaks to, and there's so much to unpack, um, which is what the book is going to get into. Um, as far as like 
sociology of the female body, control of the female body, how does our society treat sex work and stripping? Um, how does our society treat women who are take ownership of their sexuality? Why is this so controversial and so shocking to so many Americans? Whereas in Europe, it's not quite as shocking because, you know, they're much more, they embrace sex work a lot more readily than we do. So it does get into the politics of sex work, the politics of, I'm so sorry, my dog just walked in. Hold on. It's okay. <laughs> I have a border collie who can open doors and it's really annoying. Um, actually kind of impressive. I think <laughs> anyway, um, so edit this together. But yeah, so, so a lot of, you know, the, the book is really focused on unpacking the culture and the sociology. Why do a lot of old school feminists see pole dance, pole fitness as anti-feminist? Yeah. Um, whereas we see it as very pro-feminist, we see a lot of female business ownership, female entrepreneurship. This is an industry that is entirely dominated by females. Yeah. Um, this is an industry that is very, um, you know, and that's another, you know, sidetrack. You want to talk about the Olympics. There's a huge push to put it into the Olympics. I was very upset to find out that the Olympics requires, and I'm making these numbers up. I would have to double check my statistics, but um, let's say the the Olympic Committee requires that men from such and such number of countries, I'll say 40, participate in the sport. They require that women from, let's say, 20 countries participate in the sport. And again, those numbers, I'm just kind of like, but it, yeah. it's they, the impetus is the the emphasis is put on men participating in the sport. And that's been a huge right. hurdle for a female dominated sport. This is a sport that's about a f traditionally a more female aesthetic. Now there are tons of male pole dancers and those male pole dancers are amazing athletes. You look at Chinese pole and Malakamba, which is Indian pole. Yeah. Those are male the sports. Are, the male pole dancers that are famous or that are Correct. pole stars are, are move very feminine. Sometimes, ladies. sometimes, and not always. Um, you know, you look at like Melvin Sanchez does much more male, um, but I wouldn't say Melvin, I mean, I guess the audience, it would just depend on the audience, but I wouldn't say Melvin Sanchez is more popular than Bentley, Rebel. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, but, but so from, mean, a, from, a, from an Olympics look, from an Olympics right. focus, I don't see Bentley showing up in the Olympics. And that's, that's my point, is that... Yeah. To to piggyback on what you're saying, because it's so it's such a the emphasis is having male or mm -hmm. men compete in it. Mm -hmm. The men that are popular and then our pole stars that um, the ones that we would that you could say we have the strength and numbers mm -hmm. wouldn't co to comp wouldn't show up to competition because they're not that type of um, yes. Olympic. Pole, that's which is fucked so up. I mean, essentially, is that... <laughs> no. Listen, I mean, it's so true that I mean because. And that then you can unpack why our society, like, is specifically U.S. society, but then kind of across the globe, really, there are very few societies that are that accepting of the um, very nuanced gender fluidity that pole encourages. I That's see it. straight male pole dancers who wear the eight inch stilettos. I can't think of 
any other sport or, or, or like culture where like it's so accepted for men to be and oh god like the the gender fluidity thing like I that's something that I'm so eager to get my teeth into because like you know going back to the feminism angle there was this article from a few years ago on Jezebel.com that this um writer talked about pole dancing being anti-feminist and she concluded the article by saying you know basically the whole article was you know it's for the male gaze and it's internalized misogyny it's um voluntary objectification blah 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 and you don't see men putting on these stiletto heels and dancing around uh yeah you do yeah you do you do (laughs) (laughs) you're looking at the wrong people and you don't have to wear the heels that's what's so great about pole. It can literally be every single dance style, every aesthetic, every music style. You know, you have dancers from Alethea Austin, who's the very like pole classique, sexy, slinky style to um, Sergia or Sergia. I can't say her name right, but anyway, Sergia, (laughs) Sergia Louise Anderson, um, who is a salsa world champion um, who does she in, integrates this like, you know, Latin dance style and, you know, classical dance styles into her, what she describes as a playful apparatus that is the pole, which I love. I um, love that description. Yeah. So many of these pole stars, I five so far as I'm talking to them have described pole dance as either being play or um, the apparatus itself is playful, encouraging play. Marlo Fiskin is huge on the concept of play as exercise. Um, and that's something we're really going to delve into. So it's just, there's all this sociological nuance to our sport and it's so unique in the way that it comments on gender relationships lbgtq presence um body ownership i mean sexual like it just speaks to culture in general in such a deep way and i'm really eager um to kind of be able to dissect it and show all the different um experiences through this sport and really kind of like bring bring that all together into um, a story and then have that story interspersed with gorgeous photos. Some of the photos that Marianne Kromp has sent me already, like, oh my God, like just visually so beautiful. So, you you know, you can just kind of like, I don't know, I see it in my mind. (laughs) I'm really excited for this to come out. Okay. So this is the poll book and the poll book. And this is, in in production or in progress you're um working on it so i like can we give like a tentative year that this is going to come out in like 2021 when I'm hoping i'm hoping um it's in development um publishing is a very slow business very slow yes i am aware <laughs> yeah my best um, friend, she's a designer for um, a, a book designer, which I didn't know that was a thing. But yeah, it's it's. Um, Girl, I need her info. There's so many nitty gritty things about about book yeah. making and publishing that I was just yeah. like. Oh. And because this is a design heavy and photo heavy project, that's going to slow it down even more. Um, you know, so the thing is, I'm going to reach out. Um, you know, and I've. I don't have a publisher on board yet. Um, so, you know, kind of working on that phase of it. And then it's like, 
what, but at the end of the day, I might decide just to put this thing together myself and just self-publish it because that's what yeah. most pole books do. <laughs> so. And honestly, like our community, like the pole community would rally around it because this sounds like, it sounds like a really, um, I love the angle that you are approaching this with because you're yes. right. A lot of people will talk about their pole journeys and all that stuff. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the nitty and gritty and the sociology yes. of it all. Yes. Uh, I love that. I'm really looking forward to this book. This Thanks is so, <laughs> so great. And I'm really happy that we're talking about this because I know last time I wanted to talk about your writing and you were like, no, I'm not ready to talk about it. So <laughs> you know. it was too early. I but... know. I get it. I get it. Thank you. Thank you for opening up and sharing. I want to move into um, our Corona corner really quickly. I don't want to go in the corner. <laughs> I know. We got we to gotta move back into the corner real quick. Um, so we are, it is um, March. We are in towards the end of March of 2020. Um, and it, we are in, I would say, the second week of social distancing. Um which is why we are doing this remotely. Yes, we are. Otherwise, you'd be in my house and we'd have mimosas and cocktails and it'd be it. But, you know, I love that we are in 2020 and we have technology on our side to keep us connected. It's very true. But, um, in the time of Corona, I want to know how you are coping. Um, I want to know what's been your go-to anxiety fix. So yesterday, uh, so I, <laughs> up until Tuesday, this Tuesday, um, today is Saturday, right? Yeah, today's <laughs> we Saturday. To, by the way, just full disclosure, we were supposed to do this yesterday, and <laughs> over there, I forgot um, what day it was, because I'm so like, yeah, so I don't my bad. Sorry. When you answered the phone in a whisper, I was like, oh no, this isn't happening. <laughs> child was taking a nap I forgot what day it was I was like what's happening so I'm sorry um but you know what Asada in true friend form was so forgiving and so understanding <laughs> and thank you she was so gentle with me and like I just really appreciate that um, yeah but um you know so I had to go to work up until Tuesday I woke up in the morning to go to work and I'm a dental hygienist and I woke up in the morning and I looked at my husband. I was like, I can't, I cannot, we got to pull that. Cause he's at home because UCF, you know, is doing virtual classes now. Right. So we pulled our kid out of daycare as early as we possibly could. Um, although the daycare, they're doing amazing, um, trying to keep everything, you know, as clean as possible, but it's still daycare. Children lick things. It's disgusting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I woke up in the morning and I was like panic mode. And I was like, I cannot like be digging around in people's mouths and like we were doing everything we could. We were doing hydrogen peroxide mouthwash. We were taking people's temperatures. We're questioning people. We're obviously doing all our normal um, universal precautions for, for um, limiting the spread of germs, you know. But at, at the end of the day, it was just too overwhelming for me. I had a woman come in with three children who were all snotty nosed. No, girl. No. I had to bring them bad. with me. Yeah. I had to bring them with me because they're all out of school. No, no, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> so Tuesday was my last day at work. Um, just today, the governor has shut down dental offices until May 9th. What? Yeah. So May. I'm out of the job until May 9th. If anybody wants to contribute to my Kickstarter. No, I'm just kidding. Um, maybe I'm no, kidding. I don't, know I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know if I'm kidding. I might not be. Um, 
But, uh, you know, so I'm out of work for a month and a half, basically. Um, which is, so how are you coping? What's, um, yeah, yeah. So what are we we doing for our anxiety that I am sure is present? Yeah. Big time. So yesterday, so far, the first couple of days we got up in the morning, we ate our breakfast. We took the dogs immediately out and took an hour long walk. We came home, we did yoga. We've been, I've been trying to keep my kid up with home. So like having structure to the day is helpful for us. Yesterday I woke up in the morning and the anxiety was really, really heavy. And so I just looked at my husband and I said, I need a day to just crumble. And he was like, cool, I got you. So he took the kid out in the backyard and they, we have a little tiny bounce house thing and they played in the bounce house and chased each other around the yard. We have a redneck swimming pool. Just like nice. an inflatable, giant inflatable swimming pool. We filled that up. We splashed around. We made s'mores um, at night. So, you know, he he kind of took over because I looked at him and I was like, I don't have it today. Yeah. I'm like, I need to just be in my room. I'm going to curl up and cry under a blanket. And he was like, cool, I got you. And he took over. Um, it's so amazing to have a partner available that we can look at each other and say, I need a day to not be okay. Yes. I think that's really important. I think people, you know, it's like we put so much pressure on ourselves to be okay with this. And sometimes it's okay to not be okay. Um, I think think that's really important. Yeah. And I, and I feel like it is more reasonable and, um, you know, normal isn't a thing, but I think you're erring more on the side of normalcy if you aren't okay with this, because this is new to every single human being on this planet. And so, you know, being kind of like, for me and and for us in our home, we are worried the level of anxiety is not as high as I would imagine if we had a child, like real mm-hmm. talk. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think that is a big, is a big thing because we're just worried about ourselves, you know? Right. Of course, we're our parents, but our parents are adults and they're smart and they're, you know, they're taking precautions the way they should, Mm -hmm. but it's not like we have to actually take care of another human being that doesn't know any better. So I think that's a lot, but it is still anxious. Um, and and we're still like, we're still anxious and, and it's not like, oh, it's all fine. And it's all good. Like smooth sailing. I think that there is a level of anxiety that is completely appropriate and almost warranted at this point. Definitely um, warranted. Definitely warranted. <laughs> you know, and I will say for those with kids, I do feel like having the kid around has forced me to not succumb completely to my instinct, which is um, probably just to hide under a blanket all that. Like I have to go outside. I have yeah. to get this kid some exercise. I have to get this kid out, you know, in a, in the backyard or take a walk or something. Um, you know, he's wanted to go to the playground and we've had to explain, we can't go to the playground right now. And he went, this virus is boring and it's stupid. And I went, <laughs> yep. yep. The virus is boring and stupid. And we agree with you and it sucks. And he's like, yeah, viruses suck. And I was like, yeah. How did you explain this to your kid? Like what um, do you use? Pandemic? Yeah. 
He, I'm, I'm a bit, um, one of my major anxieties in life is germs. Um, you know, so like I've always kind of, every flu season we sit him down and we say, okay, bud, when you go to school, do not touch your face. You wash your hands, whether the teacher says you're allowed to or not, you go and wash your hands and he knows like proper hand washing technique and like whatever. So we've had that conversation with him before, as far as like, what are the rules to limit your exposure? Um, you know, and, and we, but we sat him down and we were at, at the very beginning of this, like a month ago. And we said, dude, there's something coming and it is bad and we need to be ready. You need to be clean. You need to be like, blah, blah, blah. And he would come home and say, mama, oh no. And I'm like, what happened? I, I picked my nose at school. I didn't mean to, but I picked my nose. <laughs> I touched my face. And I'm like, it's okay. Did you wash your hands after? Yes, I did. Did you wash your hands? Like, was it after lunchtime? Yes, it was after lunchtime. Okay. Then I know your hands were clean. It's okay. You know? Yeah. And okay. He's very aware. Um, and, and, but he asks, you know, he said, are people dying? And I said, yeah, people are dying from this one. It's really bad. And he was like, that sucks. And I was like, yeah. And like, we explained the statistics and like, it's mostly old people dying and that's very sad. Um, but we need to be careful because a lot of young people are ending up in the hospital. Um, I didn't obviously go into detail, but you know, a lot of young people, and this is why I, I want people to take this very seriously. Yes, you might not die, but a lot of young people are ending up in long-term intensive care, um, damage to their lung capacity of up to 30% decrease in lung capacity, and now they're seeing um, permanent kidney damage as well. So yeah, young people need to be taking this very seriously as well, and on top of which, you don't want to kill somebody's grandma, so like just don't Karmically, that's not good. Like, come on. Um, But yeah, so we were very open with him about like, how severe it is and why it's different and his his teacher oh god his teacher my husband went to pick him up from school and she pulled him aside and she was like um have you been telling him that people are dying from this virus and he went yeah and she went okay okay because right, <laughs> apparently he's just so like he went to school and he was like yeah guys people are dying like you guys gotta like wash your hands <laughs> He's telling people, he's like, yo, heads up. This shit's real. You guys are not, man. I mean, for real. So, and a kid, know, one of the kids are like, what's death? <laughs> oh, no, he's, he, all of the kids at school are very aware of what death is because of my little helper. My little helper tells you people know, things. There yeah. has to be that student in school that tells the kids what's up. And, you know, I was that kid when I was younger. So he'll be fine. He'll, he'll be, be fine. fine. And like, and he'll tell people, you know, cause he'll, well, it's in the book. And I'll say, well, the book is wrong. Because, like, we had a book from when he was a baby. There was a picture of a chimpanzee. And it said monkey. And from birth, I would be like, this is inaccurate. A chimpanzee is an ape, not a monkey. And yeah. like, <laughs> it's like, books can be wrong. Teachers can be yeah. wrong. Like, just because it's an authority figure does not mean that they're correct. <laughs> that is so true. And and that that's a real life lesson. I mean, we're joking about it now, but that's a real life lesson that he can take and he can apply in adulthood because there are so many people that are walking around just listening to some people in authority. <clears throat> they're wrong. <clears throat> just because he happens to be the president in chief, even yeah. though everybody that's knows true. he's liar and he's wrong anyway we gotta get out of this corona corner let's go into bye corona corner see ya um let's move into the highlight of the week okay so i know it's it's dark and it's and it's tough but there is good to be found in everything so i like to um 
and every episode talk about the highlight of the week and what I did this week to be well. Um, I'll go first. My highlight of the week was um, actually getting a 2020 planner and planning out um, this crazy new work schedule thing, um, virtual remote interviewing that um, I'm having to do, and also scheduling my voiceover recordings and all that stuff, like getting it every single day. So that way I'm not like looking at my calendar going, oh, I got to record this copy and oh, I have to interview this person and oh, I got to edit this this episode so I can get mm-hmm. it prepared. Um, it felt really good to just kind of plan it. It felt very nerdy, actually. Um, very studious. Like, oh, I'm going to plan three weeks ahead of time. Like, this episode isn't going to come out for a few weeks, you know, because, yeah. but I've already planned for the date that I'm going to edit and copy and like send you promo stuff. So like, I'm pretty excited about that. Um And it's also very difficult for me too, because with Andrew at home as well, more often, um, having to set boundaries like that because uh, for us we've had such opposite work schedules that when we're together it's automatic like okay nobody's working we're spending time together because it's the only time that we have together right Um, now in the time of corona we're spending a lot of time together so I need to be very um strong in my boundary and and say okay I okay I'm gonna go work for four hours in in the room and I need you to not bother me unless you absolutely have to. Yep. And whatever. David and, that's- and I have established clock-in times. So oh, that's clocks good. In because we have to trade off the kid. So he has a clock-in time. I have a clock-in time where I can work on finishing up my last novel, work on the book proposal, and starting the next novel. It's, why do I do this to myself? I don't know. And he has his clock in time to work on his, you know. So, yeah, dividing up the time at home and setting those boundaries, huge. Yeah. And, and for somebody, for somebody like myself, who isn't that great, I wasn't um, raised with healthy boundaries. So mm-hmm. just in the last two years, reestablishing boundaries, examining them to make sure that they're healthy boundaries. Um, this was, I feel really good about it. Like this week I was like, oh man, I got a lot of good stuff done. I was able to work at home and Andrew did his own thing. And it was like, it was good. It, it felt really good. Um, And which leads me right into what I did this week to be well. Um, You'll laugh at this page. I actually started flexibility training. (laughs) Which is different from yoga. I want people to know that. Oh my gosh, you guys. Yeah, it's totally different different from yoga. Um, So, you know, my yoga is like very restorative and very calming. And, you know, it's a lot of meditating. It's... um, there's movement, but it's, it's, it's not, um, like power yoga, like a lot of people think. So flexibility training is completely different. We're using tools, we're using straps and blocks, and there is resistance training and actual, you know, some strength building attached to the flexibility. It's Mm -hmm. no one's meditating, no one's chanting, but, um, I actually signed up with, um, my flex physio, I don't know if yes. um, you're familiar. Yes. Oh, I wanted to do that. I have to be careful with money right now because I'm out of work for a month and a half. But oh, oh, yes, exactly. I um I actually signed up for it a year ago, um, over a year ago. But I was um I, I was going through some stuff, and actually when I signed up for it, I had to. Um, it just wasn't the right time for me or my body yeah. to 
do flexibility training. So um, I had to put that on hold and I actually totally forgot, which honestly makes me sick because I had budgeted for months to be able to afford it um, because listeners, it is not a cheap um it is not a cheap um, program that you're But I will but, say her name is Cirque Physio. Um, Cirque Physio. Jen um, Crane. Oh, thank you. Dr. Jen Crane she is, is amazing. She is like the flexibility guru. Um, really. I mean, she's, and like, I will say the coach that I work with for competition stuff, Brittany, who's a mutual friend of ours, um, she is a flexibility wizard like she is amazing she but a, like a lot of the stuff that she incorporates um I mean she's got education in all kinds of different like facets of of flexibility and, and um, physiology and all this kind of stuff but Jen Crane though provides foundation for so many of the concepts that she ends up incorporating like she is a go-to like when I asked her like hey I want to do a blog about active flexibility would you help me write it she went nope call Jen I was like okay <laughs> Okay then. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah she, she's amazing. Really- and I took a peanut workshop with her at Polcon last year, or the year before. Um, and I will tell you why. Get a peanut. Get a peanut. Yeah, it's, yeah it's- I actually when she when Polcon was um, in Orlando, we um, we actually taught a very similar. Um, I did my shoulder um, save your shoulders class. Yes. And- did a flexibility thing and it was very it was really funny because she had reached out to me and was like oh I, I kind of want to know what you're teaching because also like my thing was free I did the free workshop and hers was the paid workshop and so like right. we kind of needed to make sure that like it was all like we weren't on the same page actually right 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 <laughs> it was really cool but she is she is phenomenal and she's very generous with her knowledge which is wonderful very. but like I mentioned before, I had forgotten that I that I bought the program, went through my shit, whatever, and then um, this week, you know, freaking um, uh, social distancing, I found myself sitting down a lot, and um, and I was just noticing I was doing the dishes, like something very benign. And I noticed that I was putting all the weight on my left leg and I was actually on the ball of my foot on my right because my hips were so uneven. I was like, I need to, I need to sort that out. Yeah. I need to get back in my body. And, um, and that's, this is with me doing daily yoga, like flexibility and yoga is not the same thing. So I needed to go back and figure out what went wrong. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. There was a flexibility program that I was getting ready to start and life just got a little bit too crazy and I had to put it away for a minute, but um, I picked it up. It is a I mean, if you ever want to, well, I was literally going to say, if you want to come over and check it out, but you can't, um, oh. <laughs> this is over. If you ever want to come over and check it out, you're more than welcome to, because I might what, take you up on that. I might take you up on that. It's great. She does a whole like assessment. So you measure yourself, you measure your, um, your angles and your, um, you know, your ability in the assessment. And then through each, um, module she gives you modules you're able to work on you know particular parts of your body it's really fantastic did she have you do the thing where you sit with your back all the way up against the wall and then you like lift your arm and you're supposed to make it to 20 degrees with for how uh, short your lats are yep oh my god it's so bad yep 
And that so one bad. Was, oh, I didn't realize that I like <laughs> opened my rib cage that much. Like that's that's <laughs> and like I have been told repeatedly that one of my main almost useless, not really useless, but so I my my one realm of flexibility that's really 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 above average naturally is my shoulder flexibility doesn't really help for making those long beautiful lines like people who can naturally do splits which I cannot um but you know I was like oh good I have flexible shoulders great it does (laughs) it really does but I thought I had very flexible shoulders until I did that and I was like oh yeah my lats are so tight my shoulders are flexible but my lats are very tight which then inhibits range of motion so yeah that kind of stuff very eye-opening um I also recommend she, and I haven't gotten to do it myself, but she partnered up with my favorite contortionist, um, who's strange, wonderful creature, um, goes by the name S. Um, and they partnered up and did a biohacking, um, biohacking your system for contortion flexibility. Oh, wow. And a lot of that information actually came from S and who is preferred pronoun is they by the way. Um, and I know I'm going to mess it up because I always do, but anyway, um, they are a contortionist, um, who, um, just really knows a lot about how to affect your, again, your posture can control your mindset and likewise your mindset can control your range of motion. Um, so Jen Crane does a lot with nerve tension, nerve flossing, that kind of stuff. S does a lot with how to engage, um, from my understanding of the program was how to biohack that nerve tension and release that nerve tension, um, through, um, almost like awareness exercises and that kind of stuff. Um, so really, really interesting program. I'm looking forward to, to trying to check that out. Um, if, if they have it archived, I'm sure they do. Um, but anyway, so there you go. Nice. Thanks for sharing that. I'm going to check that out. Um, what did you do this week to be well? What was your highlight of the week? Well, um, not my highlight of the week, but what I did this week to improve wellness was like I said, to give myself that day of not being okay. Yeah. Um, Little, just being honest with yourself. Yeah. I, I got very honest with myself and gave myself a day of not being okay. And when I woke up this morning, I felt a thousand times better. Um, you know, dope. just because I needed to kind of sink into the quagmire a little bit so I could rise out of it, you know? Um, yeah. So that was one thing I did to allow myself gently into better wellness. <laughs> Um, but highlight definitely has been, um, you know, just playing a lot more, um, playing, watching my husband and my son play, um, you know, walking my dog, being more engaged in my home life has been a really big highlight because a lot of times, again, we don't spend a lot of time at home. You know, like you and, mm-hmm. and your husband, like kind of like there's this ships passing in the night kind of thing. And even when yeah. I am at home, I'm always thinking about what do I need to do? I need to be doing laundry. I need to be working on the book. I need to be working on this. I need to be, I can't waste time. And yeah. I think that mentality of wasting time is something that I need to get over that. Um, no time is wasted. And you know, so again, like giving yourself time to be still and not do anything. 
um, not be goal oriented, not be productive. Um, uh, you know, that's, that's been a huge, ironically enough highlight is, you yeah. know, and then also, honestly, big highlight too was on Tuesday when I told my boss with huge anxiety, I'm, I'm uncomfortable coming to work at this point. I don't think it's safe. I'm worried that we might, like, I, I might already be contaminated and like infecting patients without realizing it. I'm very nervous about that. We don't know, you know, like whatever. And I was nervous. Like, how, what is he going to say when I put my foot down and say, I'm not coming back to work. And he is a wonderfully considerate human. And he turned around and went, I completely respect that. And we will work around it. And I went, Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. Uh, sometimes <laughs> uh, like the, the, that projection of confront or excuse me, the fear of confrontation is worse than the actual <laughs> confrontation. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, he was very, um, very supportive. And unfortunately now there's a mandatory, Man, the governor really hit the dental offices hard, though. May 9th, that's a long time away, but it is. We'll get through it. We will. And I think the plus side of everything, I mean, the highlight of everything, like you're saying, is ironically the fact that everybody is slowing down Mm -hmm. and everybody is being forced to, you know, re uh, re examine how their home life is and. Sometimes it may not be great, or sometimes it it gives you the opportunity to realize how awesome it is when your kid and your husband are playing together. It's that's that is always one of my favorite things. Like my husband, when he mows the lawn, he put this is probably totally unsafe, but he'll because little man always wants to be involved, but obviously it's not safe for him to be involved with heavy machinery. Um, so he will put him up piggyback on his back while he mows the lawn. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Just so he feels like he's being included. We safety safety him up and everything, but you know, it's, just really... it's not like he's riding on the mower. He's fine. No, 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 no. But it's just it's really cute, you know, that when they play together, man, my husband if there's one thing my husband's good at, it is playing with yeah. that kid. Like he is so good at that. Like I'm good at like let's read books and let's color and let's, you know Oh, which by the way, if anyone out there needs um, something to help them through this time. I highly recommend on YouTube. This has been another huge highlight and very comforting for me on YouTube. It's through the Kennedy center YouTube uh, account and it's doodle with Mo and it's Mo Willems who does the elephant and piggy books. This is all children's stuff, but he it's like watching Bob Ross with Mr. Rogers combined. Oh, awesome. I'm going to write this down and then put it in the show. Oh my God. You have, and like, it's just so, and it's like, let's doodle and let's, you know, whatever. And like, but he looks at the camera and like, how are you feeling today, guys? I'm feeling, I'm feeling nervous. I feel very nervous today, but I feel a little less nervous than yesterday. And I'm going to doodle how I feel. So he, like, and it's just so like, like, I want to cry watching it. I'm just like, okay, Mo, I'm with you. <laughs> like, he's it's just, really it's great. Like, he needs something just soothing and low key and an activity to do and just somebody so comforting. I'm telling you, he's like, yeah, Mr. Rogers and Bob Ross. That's the only way I can describe this man. He's amazing. <laughs> That's what we need right now. I love that. I love that. Oh my gosh, Paige. Thank you so much for once again, sharing yourself 
with um, me and and the listeners. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for no, thank you so much for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to kind of spout off on all this stuff. Very therapeutic, weirdly. <laughs> I'm glad that's 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 really what this show is about. Totally. Well, that's the show, Wellness Warriors. If you like the episode, don't forget to rate and review it and subscribe to the podcast. I'll be back next week with a interview with Dominique Whitfield of Oi. <laughs> Until then, be brave, be light, be well.